Um, all right, turn to Acts chapter 26. This is our second to last week in the book of Acts. We've skipped ahead quite a bit here, and I'll explain kind of what's happened in the intervening time after I read this passage. The words will be on the screen. You also have physical Bibles in front of you or underneath you. And if you don't have a Bible at all uh, and you'd like to leave with one, uh, you can. there's some Bibles uh, to your right as you go outside this door. And you're f- free to take one of those or one of the ones that are right in front of you. We'd love for you to have it. So Agrippa said to Paul, you've permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me, those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, through all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles." As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. The king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. 
For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is done doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he would not appealed to Caesar. We pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word. Father, we thank you that we have received it. We've heard it with our ears. And God, we pray that you'd help us to hear it with our heart. Pray that you would help me to speak only in accordance with these scriptures. And that, Father, all of our hearts would be laid bare before you. And that we would see Jesus and have our life redirected once more. It's in your name that I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, yesterday was a busy Saturday for, for my family. Um, as they have so often turned out to be. Um, we were out of the house before 10 to go to a soccer game uh, so I could be an assistant coach for 10-year-old girls playing soccer. Uh, we went straight from there to go for the next hour and a half or so to get our younger three kids to get their first COVID shot. We went from there to come home and so that I could go get our truck and pick up a bandsaw for my wife, <laughs> not me. And then from there, I also borrowed Nick Swan's lawnmower, battery-powered lawnmower, so that I could go home and mow my lawn in mid-November in the dark with the headlights on on this electric lawnmower. And I just, it was pitch black, uh, which of course is, happens by 6 p.m. at this point. It felt like I was mowing in the middle of the night at like 1.30 in the morning. And as I was pushing this battery-powered lawnmower and thinking back over the course of my day, I just thought, this is not how I expected Saturdays to go. When I was looking forward to life as an adult, I did not expect any of these circumstances. Coaching soccer, global pandemics uh, and vaccines, battery-powered lawnmowers in the middle of the night. None of that was on my radar. And uh, this past week, I, I was on a panel at Montreal College with some other alums talking about our journey into our vocation and calling. And uh, they were asking me questions about how I got here. And I just kept saying, I don't know how this happened. Like, I, I kept thinking my life was going to look this way. And all of a sudden, it seemed I was here. But I knew this was all happening over the course of, of a decade of, of long relationship and things were just slowly being revealed to me one at a time. So now as a 37, almost 37 year old, I, I 
it seems like natural. And I had to tell all of them, like, I know this sounds easy, but this was like years of not understanding where the heck I was going. And I told my story in five minutes, sounds short and simple, but I did not expect this. I could not see it coming. That sort of feeling, I did not see this coming. I could not have predicted where I would be is, is the right kind of feeling to meditate on as you listen to Paul tell his own story in this end of the book of Acts. Uh, for the past several chapters, we, we've sort of skipped a lot of events that Paul has gone to Jerusalem and he had some kind of inclination that he would have his life radically redirected. We talked last week about his uh, farewell address to the elders in Ephesus about what Christian leadership ought to look like. And he makes clear to them, I'll never see you again. But from there, the reasons why he will never see them again are becoming revealed. He's arrested in Jerusalem and he starts his way through the legal system. And what we have referred to at the end of this chapter is that Paul is a Roman citizen who has appealed to be uh, examined by Caesar, which every citizen has the right to do. And so he's done this to, to avoid being beaten to death. But as he's moved his way up the chain, the legal chain, he uh, has found himself to be in the presence of people who are less and less naturally inclined to want to kill him anyway. And so he's speaking to Agrippa in the presence of Festus, who is the kind of prosecutor laying out the case against him. And Agrippa at this point is, a, is an officer that has to send him on to Rome. He has to be uh, examined by Caesar himself. This is going to happen. But Paul is giving this defense of what is going on before this ruler, before he gets shipped out. And Agrippa is hearing Paul's conversion story, which is uh, the third time Luke is telling Paul's conversion story via Paul's mouth in the book of Acts. And each time the audience is a little bit different. So you get a few more details along the way. And Paul is telling a story that now is, hopefully if you're reading Acts, familiar to us. That he is on his way to Damascus and Jesus interrupts him on the road. He's telling this story as ultimately he is being persecuted in the context of an argument amongst the Jewish community. That he's a Pharisee. And he happens to believe what Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he should not be under trial for believing what Pharisees have long believed and defended. Now, Paul is correct but also he is teaching a version of the resurrection that nobody believed before. That the resurrection is a real thing, it's bodily, and it's happened already to one person. This is what nobody saw coming. The Pharisees were prepared for the idea of resurrection. They were not prepared for the idea of Jesus' resurrection. And so Paul is this rather unique Pharisee. And he's saying that I was zealous in my office of Pharisee. I was going about doing my job. I'm not here, Agrippa, because I'm a rabble rouser, because I'm trying to do something that is illegal. I was going in accord with what all Pharisees would want me to do. I was on the way somewhere else 
to bring pain and suffering to this nascent Christian community in Damascus. And something happened on that road where my idea of what resurrection is was radically shifted. Instead of the resurrection being something that would happen to either all of Israel or all people at the end of time, I met the resurrected one, and it was Jesus. And Jesus speaks these words to him. Why are you pushing so hard against me? He uses this very common Greek phrase. Why do you, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a struggle usually against what the gods are trying to do. And Paul takes that language. Jesus makes clear to him, this is what the God is doing. And it is hard for you to struggle against him. Paul is interrupted on his way to Damascus. A lot of times, um, I was reading a uh, famous preacher, Will Willman, talk about this passage. And a lot of our language about how we talk about following Jesus um, has taken up a description of our feelings. That I, I felt one way, and Jesus came, and then I could feel another. And usually the formula, formula is, I was miserable, and then I met Jesus, and now I'm happy. But Paul's example and words here present to us the reality that is often not the way this thing works. The man telling this story is in chains. He is on his way to Rome, where eventually, tradition tells us, he'll be beheaded. He'll die. The story of the book of Acts is of Paul's suffering. It is not of his happiness. In fact, in many ways, Paul is very happy before the events of the road to Damascus. He's perfectly, in his mind, satisfied being what he is, doing what he's doing, persecuting the church of Jesus of Nazareth. It is not his own dissatisfaction that leads him to, to say, I would like to follow Jesus. It is instead an encounter with the resurrected and living Jesus that radically changes everything. The irony of Paul's story is that Paul, up until this moment of confrontation, is blind. He cannot see spiritually. He encounters Jesus and physically is blinded in the moment that he can spiritually see for the first time. And Paul is left in his physical blindness for a number of days to meditate on what the vision that he's finally received has revealed to him in clarity and in truth. That it is the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus that has reordered his understanding of everything. And he becomes a radically different person 
to the extent that he changes his name from Saul to Paul. Before, he was perfectly content in his life. And it was a confrontation with Jesus that changes everything. This, this is important to see and to understand as church people who are called to be in the life and the business of inviting others to come see and follow Jesus. That a lot of our friends, a lot of our loved ones, a lot of the people that we care about that we're really saying, like, you should come and consider Jesus, are not sitting around miserable, waiting around to find the magic piece that fits in and helps them to feel all better. That is true of some people. Don't hear me wrong. A lot, plenty of people are miserable and waiting to hear the, the very real emotional relief that the good news provides. But if that is your expectation of what conversion always looks like and essentially looks like, you're likely baffled by your friendships with other people and they just consistently continue to reject Jesus. We often don't have an understanding within ourselves of what is going on here. And to us, it just seems like this is so obvious. Like you would be so much happier if. And you are not talking to unhappy people. That is the issue. What the scripture would say about them and to them is you are not unhappy. And that itself is the problem. That speaks to the spiritual condition of the people that you are addressing. It is blindness. Blind people are not stubbornly closing their eyes and saying, I refuse to see. Blind people cannot see. I have seen many times people come up to my wife, who is deaf, and who are trying to orient themselves to her deafness at best. Some people just don't get it. But the people who are trying, they often will get close to her and speak very slowly and yell. The issue is not volume. That's not what makes her deaf. If you yell in the wrong direction, and he, my wife cannot see your lips, she is not refusing to participate in the conversation. She cannot hear you. It's not a choice that she made. It's one she was born with. She cannot hear you. So in order to actually engage with my wife and have a conversation, you have to reckon with who she is. You have to speak Face to face. You have to speak clearly. When you are dealing with spiritually blind people, you are not meant to look at them with contempt. You are not meant to look at them as if they are stupid. You are not meant to look at them as if they are just bizarre fools. You are meant to see them in a condition in which they are. 
which is blindness. And that can feel weird to say. And in a lot of ways, people can jump from that spot to a place of, of superiority. Like, I can see what you clearly cannot. But their blindness is not chosen. And your ability to see is no more about you than Paul's was. You and I were headed in a particular direction. And we did not stop in the middle of the road and say, you know what? I'm going to go a different way now. What we experience is what Paul experienced. We experience the risen Lord Jesus knocking us off our horse to the ground and opening our eyes for the very first time. And so when you are in relationship with people who do not follow Jesus, your attitude fundamentally ought to be one of compassion. It ought to be of love and patience because such is the way that God has treated you. This is not about superiority. This is about whether or not you are connected to reality. Will Willimon says a lot of times we have this idea of a bridge between God and man. And we think that what we need to get people to do is walk across the bridge and have, or at least halfway across the bridge. But he says, Paul's story corrects us and reminds us the story is almost entirely of God himself storming across the bridge and coming to find us. It is not really right that we invite Jesus to come into our hearts. It's that Jesus blows the door down and storms into the house. And Paul is saying that this is precisely what has happened to him. That God has interrupted. And he now has no other choice. This is not about Paul's happiness. Paul has no problem listing the long list of his sufferings for Jesus. If you read some of his other letters, if you read 2 Corinthians especially, Paul will make a list for you. This is all that I have suffered for Jesus. You know, the shape of Paul's life, the order of his narrative, fundamentally shifts because of the reality of the resurrected Christ. So the question that the text naturally presents to us who read is how often do we change our understanding and relationship to Jesus and sort of shield ourselves from the power 
of the claim. How often does Jesus get put into a slot to make us, whatever, emotionally more fulfilled, to make us sociologically more well-adjusted, to give us connection to other people? And Jesus is allowed to occupy this little space because that gives us what we want. How often is the risen Lord Jesus allowed full discretion over our own lives so that he can continue to take us places that we did not expect? And look, for Paul, this means that he's on his way to Rome to die. And you could hear the unexpectedness of it. Agrippa is looking at his life and saying he did not need to end up in Rome. If he just would not have said this. And yet Paul will experience this unexpected trip to Rome and say that it is entirely in the hand of God. That God is sending him to Rome. And everywhere along the way, he is being sent as God's emissary and ambassador to even in the heart of the empire tell the truth about the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So Agrippa does not understand how Paul got here. Paul may not have foreseen exactly being in that spot, but Paul says the reality of Jesus means that my life is open to his redirection and I will go wherever he sends me to do whatever he calls me to do, including if I might have to wear chains, if I might suffer, and if I might die. And for you, it may not look like that. Frankly, some of you may say, I would prefer if it would look more like this. Some of you are are confused by those other people. But let me explain. Some of you would say, my life, my ordinary mundane life, it's so hard for me to just be in the everydayness of my everyday. I would prefer if I got interrupted by some extravagant narrative like this. It would be easier and clearer for me if I could be captured like this. But if Jesus is the risen Lord, if he's the risen king, he gets to move even in the particularities and the everydayness of your everyday. So that your life of radically following Jesus might look like a thing that appears completely on the surface like others. And yet you know he has called you to people and to places within our own valley that make you uncomfortable, that force you to tell this story the way that Paul has to tell his story. The question is, does Jesus get to send you every single day to where you are going? Does your place of business become a place where God has sent you that day? Does God get get to discomfort you with the relationships that you make? Does God ask anything of your possessions that you might otherwise not be willing to give? Does God get to put you in the crucible of unexamined moments that you might otherwise step around? See, Jesus is the risen resurrected, reigning Lord Jesus, 
whether your story is as wild and extravagant as a courtroom in a foreign country, or whether you are getting up every day to be a good mom, to be a good dad, to be a good employee, to be a good boss, it's Jesus is Lord of everything. 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 Does Jesus get to make you unhappy? Because you have found your happiness in him. And that is unsettling. And it is probably something that if you're like me, you have to often lay before him. Father, would you show me the places where I have decided that I would be better off with me in charge instead of you. And you'll probably find, by habit and by nature, the list of those places where you have taken over constantly grows longer. Because the thirst for your own control and your own happiness-making grows up incessantly like a weed. But the truth of what Paul is saying and the truth of Paul's story not only provides for those who listen the enormity of the call of God upon our own lives, but the incredible comfort of what he sees. Because if you are like me and you have often found that you have assumed control and you have lived as if Jesus is just an idea or a spiritual feeling or an accessory to your life, and you are once again so disturbed and disappointed to find yourself back where you started, the answer is Paul's vision. It's Jesus. The answer is that Jesus is alive. And the resurrected Lord Jesus still comes for his people. So we fall short of the, the demands of his lordship regularly. And the reality of who the Lord is, is our forever and perpetual hope. So we may be the people who have been interrupted and found ourselves in a story we did not expect. We may understand that Jesus has done something significant and still stepped in and taken control of our lives. And again, once more, the answer when we realize it is he's still the God who would interrupt the spiral of your own destruction. And so when you realize, I've found all my happiness other places, I have found myself, I've found ways to make myself contented without Jesus, I've found myself the king of my own life. And when you are once again confronted with the reality that not you but Jesus is the Lord, you get to do what you did that first day, which is to reckon with the reality of who Jesus is, to throw yourself at his feet and to receive once again his mercy. Jesus, 
who he is as the Lord is the thing that changes your life and also provides the great comfort for when you are so disoriented with the way that life has gone. When he is there presenting himself as the merciful God, you again get to cast yourself at his feet and saying the truth is that Jesus is really and truly the Lord. He is really and truly the Lord of a fool like me who could, who could deceive himself into thinking that things are best when I'm in control who could deceive himself into thinking that God would fit in a tiny little box in which I deign to contain him. Even for a fool like me, the truth is that Jesus is Lord. Today, you are being confronted again with Jesus. And you need a personal confrontation with him. This this is about you coming face to face with the living God. And you could be a church person and still be about your own way of doing life. And if you have never, ever been confronted with the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus, he is here proclaimed amongst you so that today you would come and you'd respond to him. And you may be feeling, I know he's been around for my entire life, but I could never see him before today. What is happening is that God is healing you of blindness. So if you have been blinded, God would be here to open your eyes that you might see. And you should respond in the way that Paul describes which is to repent, to turn around, and to get on Jesus' way instead of your own. And if you are here today, and you are realizing that though you have seen him before, you have decided to minimize and imprison Jesus into little corners of your life, instead of letting him occupy pride of place and the king of your own life. And if that's the case, God is speaking you, to you today that he has mercy for you if you would do what Paul describes, which is to repent and to come home to Jesus. He loves wandering, stubborn, blind fools like me. And he would certainly give his love to you again. So would you come home to him? And if you are here today and you love people who are so far from Jesus. Some of you have children. Some of you will have children. Some of you have siblings friends who are so far from Jesus right now and it breaks your heart. 
because they seem so happy without Jesus. Let me just encourage you. The Jesus who interrupted your story surely has plenty of time to interrupt theirs. And you ought to pour out your heartache to the Father. You are to be persistent in prayer with the Father. And you ought to love that person with compassion and patience and faithfulness, eager and ready to testify the hope that is within you. And you should ask God to do the miracle that seems impossible. If your loved one is alive and has breath in their lungs, they are not too far from Jesus. They are not too far. So if you have given up hope, today you ought to take up hope. Not in yourself or in that person, but in Jesus. Do not lose heart. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us that we might respond to being confronted with Jesus. I want to pray for our friends who are caught in the grips of blindness as well. Father, we thank you that you do a miracle when you interrupt us in the road of our lives, that you have the power, the authority, and the mercy and the goodness to bring us to unexpectedly good places. And Father, I pray that we would have renewed hope in you, the God who interrupts. Father, I pray for anyone here within the hearing of my voice whose heart has been hard, whose eyes have been closed. And Father, I pray that today you might open their eyes and deliver the truth of who you are square at home into a suddenly soft heart. Father, I pray for those of us who regularly make our lives all about ourselves, who act not as if Jesus is Lord, but as if we are Lord. We are so often distracted by our appetites for good and bad things. We put ourselves in the governing seat and make decisions as if you are not the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And we are truly sorry. Father, would you please help us in our own persisting remnants of spiritual blindness. Help us to see what we do not see so that we can turn back to you in repentance. And Father, I pray for all of our loved ones whose hearts have grown cold, who maybe have walked away from the church, have walked away from faith, maybe who have never loved you, never followed you, never proclaimed to know you. Father, whatever their story, God, I pray that you would intervene. God, I pray that you would uh, step into the middle of the road of their life. God, that you would open their eyes, that you would dispel the darkness, that you would do the miracle that is required in their hearts, that they might repent and believe in you. 
Father, we have no confidence in our own ability to convince, our own ability to make people dissatisfied. Our only hope is in you, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would, for each of those people that we're thinking of, God, that you would interrupt their life, that you'd bring them to their knees, and that they would see the reality of who you are. Our only hope is you, Lord Jesus. And to whatever extent we say it and don't believe it, God, I pray that you would lead us towards the truth. We're so grateful for you, Lord Jesus. Let us grow in clarity of sight of you, that our hearts might be fully alive in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.